Christmas, everybody. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Let's welcome our campuses who are joining us today, our church online, Facebook. Hey, Thanksgiving is over. Yeah, I hope you had a great time with your family. Did you have enough turkey? Uh, I am tripped to fan out. Uh, it is December 1st, which means we're officially in the Christmas season. So what we're doing is today we're kicking off a four-part series called Advent Conspiracy rediscovering Christmas, which I'm kind of excited for because um, I don't know if you're like me, Christmas uh, comes around, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, you probably have seen it this weekend, decorations are up in stores, Mariah uh, is already torturing us 24-7 on the radio, so you are bracing for it, right? The holiday crowds, the parties, the presents, all this kind of holiday hype, but that word holiday comes from the term holy day. And Advent is a historic holy day. In fact, it's a holy season meant to do the opposite of kind of the holiday hype thing. Uh, for hundreds of years, Christians have been slowing down at Advent, clearing the clutter in their lives to get their hearts ready for the Advent or arrival of Jesus. It's actually a Christ-centered way to fight the busyness, the stress, the overload that typically comes with the holiday season. So I, if you're like me, if you're like here today and you're like, man, I just, I, I'm longing for like a simpler Christmas a quieter Christmas, less hype, more holy. That's what this whole series is about. And so today's going to feel a little bit different. I'm going to introduce you to some beautiful old school traditions that Christ followers have practiced down through the centuries, thousands of years, to prepare their hearts for Advent. So let me begin by explaining what exactly Advent is. Advent is four weeks in the Christian calendar leading up to Christmas. And the term Advent is actually Latin, and it means coming or arrival. Everyone say arrival. Arrival. Advent's about arrival. And so for 2,000 years, Christ followers have used this season of Advent. And it starts the first week of December. And then it runs one, two, three, four, four weeks through Christmas to prepare their hearts for the Advent or arrival of Jesus on Christmas morning. Now, now this is important. Advent looks back at the first Advent or coming of Christ. That's the incarnation. But Advent also looks forward to the second Advent or second coming of Christ. The first Advent, Jesus comes as a little vulnerable baby, but at the second Advent, he's going to return as a glorious conquering king. Amen? Yeah. So Advent is kind of about this sense of anticipation or hope. It's, it's, it's making room in your heart to receive Jesus Christ afresh as both humble baby and conquering king. And so today, on December 1st, I want you to think about this all over the world, okay? Christians are slowing down, they're clearing the clutter, and investing the next four weeks to connect with God and fall in love with Jesus all over again. Now, to celebrate Advent uh, over the last thousand years, the church has developed some very beautiful ancient traditions, and this may be familiar to you if you grew up in a liturgical church, maybe you uh, grew up Catholic or Episcopalian, um, you may recall Advent services that featured uh, scripture readings. Traditionally, during Advent, you read from the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, where there are these ancient prophecies about the arrival of this king, this Messiah, this Savior, who would be born in Bethlehem to deliver Israel, God's people, but more than that, to deliver us. So there'll be these scripture readings typically in Advent celebrations. There's sacred songs. Today, we're going to sing an ancient hymn from the ninth century called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And then there are these kind of special traditions, like lighting candles on an Advent wreath like this. And you see the four candles, um, and they're all different colors. They symbolize one, two, three, four, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. 
And this month, we're going to have different families from our church come up on stage, actually, to light these candles. So today's service is going to intentionally feel a little bit different. Uh, Instead of me talking for 40 minutes, we're going to kind of break it up and incorporate some of these ancient Advent elements in today's service. Scripture readings, we'll sing a couple Advent hymns, we're going to light the first candle, and then we're going to take communion to kind of prepare our hearts to welcome the arrival of Jesus this Christmas. Sound good? Now, you may be like, I'm on board, Tim, but why are you calling it a conspiracy? Right? It's called Advent Conspiracy. Well, if you haven't noticed, these quieter kind of contemplative traditions have been completely crushed under the chaos of the modern Christmas movement, right? The holiday stress here in the, here in the West, like Christmas, it's almost entirely commercial, right? Ho, 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 spend, spend, spend. It's all about like consumerism and, and, and spending, but it's really the opposite of slowing down. In our family, I notice in December, everything actually starts to spin at like warp speed, right? Starting this week, all of a sudden the gatherings, the, the, the parties, the gifts, the decorations, uh, you know, go to the mall, all this kind of stuff. And so at Christmas, we kind of rarely take time to clear the clutter and make room in our hearts for worship. Uh, Instead, we kind of pile on the purchases. We make our Amazon wish lists. uh, We kind of overstuff our schedules. And and it it tends to leave us kind of spiritually empty and exhausted. Do you ever feel that way? Like in December, I noticed like we tend to worship less and we just spend more. We run around like a chicken with our head cut off to buy stuff we don't need for with money we don't have for people we don't even like, <laughs> you know? That's like modern, normal Christmas in America. It's four weeks crammed full, and like by the end of it, you're almost like, whew, I'm glad that's over. Now, I want you to think about how ironic that is, right? Instead of actually drawing us closer to Jesus, Christmas typically pushes us farther away. But Advent is a conspiracy. It actually fights back against the cultural lie that busy is better. Advent is actually about stripping it back to the original miracle of Christmas, that God was so in love with you, his son or daughter, that God stripped it all away. He took off his royal robes and left his throne in heaven to come to earth in the form of a naked, humble baby boy to give us the gift of his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. Advent, if you think about it, is the opposite of the American dream. Advent is a riches to rags story. I mean, the American dream is rags to riches, right? That's what every show's about, accumulating wealth and fame and then lording it over others. But Advent reverses it. It's a riches to rags story. It's about the almighty God who had it all and gave it all away to come be with you. I want you to think about that. At Christmas, the creator of the universe became one of us to be with us. And the real present of Advent is the gift of his presence. God's presence is the present. Let that just sink in. Because our culture has told us a very different story. Uh, At Christmas, we're kind of taught to swallow the peppermint lie that the the way you show love to other people is just by spending money. That's just how we do it. But God shows love by spending himself. The king gives it all away to give us the gift of his son Jesus and salvation, this restored relationship with God. That's the present of Christmas, the incarnation. So Advent is kind of a conspiracy. A conspiracy is a secret plan by a group of people to do something countercultural. And this is a 2,000-year-old conspiracy that I think is relevant today to push back against our 
culture of consumerism and busyness and distraction and say, you know what? We as a people are gonna dedicate four weeks in December to actually clear the clutter. We're gonna center our hearts and practice the four tenets or core beliefs of Advent conspiracy. The first is worship fully. We wanna make Jesus the center of this season. It's not about Rudolph. It's not about Jeff Bezos. It's about Jesus, amen? We want to make Jesus want to worship him fully, and so we're going to spend less. As an act of worship, we're going to challenge you to actually cut back your spending and resist this kind of reckless uh, impulse that our culture celebrates, but actually wrecks Christmas. It, it ruins our soul. And instead of going into debt, we're going to encourage you to challenge you to give more. Give more relationally. Like give more of your time to those you love. The gift of your presence. Give gifts from the heart this Christmas, not the mall realizing this is a season to slow down, actually pour into those we love and draw close to them as we draw close to Christ. And the fourth tenet we'll arrive at at Christmas Eve is love all. We're actually going to take the money and time we save and, and use it to love the least of these, those who have nothing or, or, or little. Uh, as a church, right, you know this, we're going to actually feed the hungry this December. We're packing one million meals for the global poor, and we're going to do something pretty beautiful through our Christmas offering. Create an inclusive cafe that employs adults with special needs. Was that not awesome last week? That was just the coolest thing to see people excited. That's the conspiracy. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And so what we'll do is spend these four weeks unpacking each theme. And, and here's a goal. Let me just tell you what my goal is. I want you to see Christmas from a new perspective. From inside the manger, not inside the mall. Amen? Amen. So... Let's kick it off, and we're going to talk briefly about what it means to worship fully. That's week one of Advent Conspiracy. It's interesting, um, when you read the Christmas story, and we're going to help you do that as a family throughout December, you'll see every character who encounters the baby Jesus, this, this king born in a humble feeding trough, has the same response, and that is worship. Mary worshiped, the angels worshiped, the shepherds worshiped, wise men worshiped, and I think wise men and women still do. So instead of speeding up this month at Advent, God is inviting you to slow down. Holidays are hectic, and let me tell you something, speed is deadly. And if you kind of rush into December without slowing down the RPMs, I think you're going to miss the joy and the wonder of Emmanuel, or God with us. So today, I want to enter the story by practicing a beautiful tradition to slow us down. We're going to light the Advent wreath and actually start with a family scripture reading. Now, how many of you have actually seen an Advent wreath before? Just raise your hands. Okay, yeah. It at first actually was invented in Lutheran Germany in the 1700s. It's actually made from evergreen branches. If you look at the wreath, the, the circle's a symbol of God's eternal nature, his unending love, and it's green, right? So that color symbolizes everlasting life in the middle of a, a deadly, you know, wick, cold winter death in New Jersey on the turnpike, okay? So it's like... <laughs> Now, what's cool about this, notice something. People are always like, but why are the candles like this? Every candle on the wreath symbolizes something different. The first candle symbolizes hope. It's called the prophet's candle. The Hebrew prophets, they were waiting in hope. They said, a Messiah is going to come to deliver us. The second candle represents faith, and it's called Bethlehem's candle. Because the prophet Micah said, hey, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. And then the third candle is pink. It symbolizes joy. This candle actually is the shepherd's candle because the angels announced that Jesus came for humble, unimportant people like them. So that, that's what in the liturgy 
Rose or pink symbolizes joy. And then the fourth represents peace. It's called the angel's candle. Because the angel said, Jesus came to bring peace on earth. He's going to reconcile men to God and us to each other. And then this fifth candle in the middle will light on Christmas. It represents light, and it's called Christ's candle. It's lit on Christmas Day to remind us Jesus is the light of the world that dispels the darkness. And according to tradition, every Sunday during Advent, a uh, church family lights one candle, signifying we are now one week closer to the Advent or arrival of Christ. The light of Jesus is about to break into our sin-darkened world. So this week, I'm going to invite Stanley Akpour and his wife, Otido, to light our first candle. Uh, Stanley serves on our media team. He's a high school mentor, and Otito serves in Liquid Family as a small group leader. They got two boys of their own. Can you give them a hand? Welcome them to the stage. What up, guys? Yeah. Awesome. Now, they're going to light our, our first candle, Otito, and then they're going to share an Advent reading, a very traditional reading from the book of Isaiah, which is an ancient Old Testament prophecy predicting the birth of Jesus. A scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let's fold our hands in prayer, church. Come on. <laughs> Let's just do that. I love it. Jesus, to open this Advent season, we just proclaim, Jesus, you are the light of the world. Christ, you're our only hope in the darkness of sin. So thank you for this ancient prophecy that a light would come a wonderful counselor in a time of conflict, a, a prince of peace in an age of anxiety. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit now just to quiet us down so we can sense your presence, hear your voice, and worship you fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said together? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Now, hold on. I, got, I actually got something for you guys. You guys know what this is? Bracelet. It's a bracelet. Do you know how it works? You're like, oh, yeah, man. Okay, awesome. <laughs> We're going to put it on right now. Now, parents, I'm telling you this because your kids are getting one of these right now in Liquid Family. And it has four different charms on it, which are kind of the four tenets or core beliefs of Advent. We want to give that to your kids so that you can talk about them as parents. And adults, we're going to give you something, everybody in our services. You're getting a bookmark with daily scripture devotionals for the next 24 days. All right? So we want to lead you kind of devotionally leading up to Christmas. And you can start your day by opening God's word. Maybe you want to pray together as a family. Do the scripture readings together. Kind of clear the clutter. Tell you kids, hey, we're creating room in our home for Jesus. Remember, worshiping fully, it's not, you know, just an hour on Sunday. It's Monday through Friday. So today's the start. May you be present to Christ all week long. Can we thank Stanley and Otito and the boys? Thank you, guys. Great job. Yeah. Oh, bro, bracelet, bracelet. <laughs> you got so much energy, man. Come on. All right, go get them. Awesome. Well, listen, you know, at Advent, God is inviting you to slow down. Take your time, make room for worship, and clear the clutter. I don't know if your family is like us, clear the clutter. On Thursday, we were hosting 15 people for Thanksgiving. Anybody else host 
uh, for the holidays. What happens the hour before they get there? Okay, right? Yeah, you, you know. Guests are coming. We've got to clear the clutter or at least hide it <laughs> in the closets or upstairs bedrooms like people don't see it there. You guys know when someone's coming to your house, right? You kind of you go, right? You pick up, you vacuum, put the stuff away, set the table for the guests about to arrive. That is a good picture of what your soul needs to do at Advent. It actually prepares for the guests that Jesus is coming, only we're clearing the clutter in our hearts to make room for Christ and say, have full access to me, God. Remember, it's not like the culture is. Like, Jesus isn't like Santa. Like, he's coming on December 25th. Jesus is here. So it's not like we're waiting for Christmas. And if you're like, well, I don't feel close to God. I feel distant. Here's the truth. He hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> Rather, we're the ones who typically drift from Jesus right around December 1st, right? Because we start cluttering up our calendar with work and shopping and get-togethers, and God gets crowded out. So worshiping fully at Advent is, is, is you thinking and asking this question. Let me ask you this. What would it mean for you to declutter your soul this Christmas? To intentionally scale back the obligations and your busyness and your running around and create space for Christ to dwell in your heart? I mean, this week I was reading the Gospels trying to re-enter that Christmas story, and I think a good example of this would be the posture of Mary right, who was just a girl, 13, 14 years old, when God visited her. The Gospel of Luke records it this way. He says, the angel Gabriel went to Mary and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is what? The Lord is with you. And you just think like, oh, well, this would be awesome. Like if an angel visits and says, hey, man, God's with you. You're favored by God. But that's not the reaction Mary first has. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered, like, what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, let's read these words, church. Here we go. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great. and He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I want you to think about this. Mary was a Jewish peasant girl living in a no-name town called Nazareth, Israel. Colleen and I were there in January. I took a picture in Nazareth at the Church of the Annunciation. And this is a, a picture. It's actually a mosaic made by Christians from the Philippines. And they depicted the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that Emmanuel is going to be born in her belly. Now understand, Mary is young, she is poor, she is female, three strikes. <laughs> in her society, those were all the characteristics that said, you are completely unqualified for God to use you for any major tax or task. But God Almighty, think about this, the all-powerful God of the universe, he says, I handpick her to be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary's obedience is breathtaking. Beyond her initial where she's like, what is this angel all about, is this beautiful posture of openness. Mary wasn't too busy. She wasn't distracted or worried. In fact, she was obedient. She, I mean, she had questions for God. She's like, how is this going to happen? I, I'm an unmarried uh, uh, girl. I've never had sex. I'm a teenager. And she was right to be concerned. She's like, I, my family's going to reject me. I could even get stoned. Uh, the community is going to be gossiping and whispering and sending text messages to each other about this. <laughs> My fiancé, Joseph, probably going to ditch me. 
But Mary had this uncluttered heart that heard God's promise to birth a humble Savior. And you know what she said? I love this. This is just beautiful. This just really hit my heart. I was like, I don't know if I'd say this. In verse 38, Mary responded. Let's read it together. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Not beautiful? Just this like open posture of surrender. Like, God, I, I don't seem qualified. Not, I don't understand all the details of how this is going to work. But I'm your servant. So whatever you want to do with my life, may it be so. Can I just like ask you here at December 1st, start of Christmas, do you have that like clarity of heart? Like that submissive servant spirit. God's writing the story and I might have my plans, but God has his and his are better than mine. So do whatever you want, God. Maybe God's asking you this December to do something difficult. Maybe you're vaguely aware that he's calling you to sacrifice in some way. Here's my question. Are you too busy to hear his voice? Or are you too distracted to even sense his presence? May you actually have the posture of Mary and respond, I, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me, God, come true. Mary had a heart that was open to receive Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everyone say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's a Hebrew name. From the book of Isaiah, that means God with us. And Isaiah prophesied. He predicted this 700 years before the advent of Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is an important name to use in worship during Advent. Because just as Jesus was born in Mary's belly at Christmas, I think Christ comes to you and me to be born again in your heart through faith and worship. And the question is, is there room right now? Like, is there room? God want to speak to you? Or are you too distracted, too, too busy? Today, at the start of Advent, God is inviting you to clear the clutter. And just quiet down and make room in your heart like Mary for the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. So to clear some room this morning, we're going to actually sing an ancient Advent hymn from the ninth century. It's called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it was originally written in Latin. In fact, it's not just from the ninth century. It dates all the way back. This is, we're about to sing this. From the fourth century, around the years 300. And there were no words at first because there was no music. But Christ followers, particularly monks, would sing this, and you'll recognize it because they're called antiphones, the original vocal sounds that is the basis for music. Oh, that's actually where it was birthed. 500 years after that, they added these words that we're about to sing in Latin. So this ancient hymn has been sung for thousands of years by Christ followers to prepare their hearts for the arrival of Jesus at Advent. Let's pray together, and then we will worship. Let's put our hands out. Father, we're opening our hands as a symbol of opening our hearts right now. And we say, O come, Emmanuel. Jesus, come in a fresh way to those who are busy and depleted or distracted this morning. 
We are opening our hands, opening our hearts, and welcoming you in, Jesus. Be born again in this worship moment, Father, as we join the chorus of millions of followers of Christ through the centuries. We ask all glory to go to Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Church, let's stand together and join the ancient chorus.
Emmanuel, Christ be born in this place, in the heart of every man, woman, and child who is here to worship you this Christmas. Father, we repent for how busy and distracted, I repent for how busy and distracted I've been. And Father, I just ask right now, would your Holy Spirit clear, just clear room in our church, clear room in every heart, in every family, to welcome the newborn King this Christmas. We ask that in the name of Jesus, everyone said together, amen. amen. You may be seated. You know, at Advent, God invites us to slow down, clear the clutter, and worship fully. You know, as we kind of slow down the Advent season, I, I've had to kind of re-enter the story because I want to see it in a fresh way, not just what's familiar. I know the story, but I want to see it in a fresh way. And this week, the Lord impressed on me just kind of through the eyes of Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, you guys know Mary's a teenage girl, and this may sound strange, but she's probably around 13 years old, okay? And she's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He's really a young man, probably 16 or 17. That's just how it was in the first century. And she's visited by this angel, Gabriel, right, who explains, hey, you're going to give birth to God's son. You're to name him Jesus. And watch this. Your kid is going to be a king one day. A king over not just Israel, but every nation and his kingdom's never going to end. Now, I want you to imagine a girl of 13 or 14 getting that text message, okay? You got to understand, Mary has no social status. <laughs> She's from a town nobody has heard of or cares about. And when she kind of asks the angel, like, how's this going to happen? He explains, well, you know, the baby is going to be conceived through the Holy Spirit. So you're not even going to have sex with a man, but actually God, the, 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 the seed of God is going to be in you. Okay, just time out, okay? Because <laughs> suddenly this is reality TV show territory. Uh, for those of us who know this story well, this is very, very easy to miss. Uh, first off, I want you to imagine, you know, that you get the news, right? If you're, you know, 14 years old, you're in your house, you're minding your own business, you know, you're scrolling through Insta before dinner, and, and suddenly this glowing angel appears. It's like, don't be afraid. <laughs> and Mary had to be terrified. I mean, she knew that being, you know, pregnant out of wedlock was going to bring shame to her family. She could actually get stoned in that culture. Nobody's going to believe her. Imagine the gossip and the whispers. And, and you can't even, I was like, I can't imagine the anxiety she felt in that moment. And I just want to say to you, by the way, if you're young here, you're a teenager, you are never too young that God can't use you. You just have to be open. You have to be available. You have to just be humble. God loves to use humble people. And so I just want to encourage you, especially if you're a teenager, man, this, this is for you. Her response is just absolutely beautiful. In fact, the way Mary responds is by worshiping. She actually sings a song of praise. It's called the Magnificat of Mary. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1. Starting at verse 46, it says, Mary said, after this news, she says, man, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices 
in God my Savior. She's like, my soul, my spirit's just leaping up because he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. In the middle of the stress of the unknown, Mary chose to worship fully. I mean, think about this unexpected, upsetting news that rocked her world or the plan she thought she had for her life. And without freaking out or wringing your hands or feeling paralyzed, Mary worships. and says, God, you're writing the story of my life. You got a different plan. May it be so. I magnify you. And so it just struck me as kind of a profound truth, you know, like even in the middle of uncertainty in your life, guess what? You can still worship fully. Don't miss this. Worship is not just the singing of songs on Sunday. Worship is a choice of the heart to glorify God and actually trust him completely. When Mary actually sings, my soul glorifies, uh, the word here is actually magnifies. It's like putting a magnifying glass on the Lord And she says, my spirit magnifies, rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of me, the humble state of a servant. In other words, she's like, God sees me. I'm small, but look at him. He is so big. And his plans for me are so big. I can't can't understand him. I can just worship. I rejoice. My, My spirit swells up. And she's like, God, I trust you. In the middle of my anxiety, I trust you. Could you say that? In the middle of my upset, I trust you. In the middle of my, my, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I worship. Can you say that? I just think God has a word for some of you this December. It's not try harder. It's trust me more. Can I ask, are you worried about something today? Maybe you got some unexpected news or a disturbing phone call that has you shaken up or worried. Let worship overwhelm your worry. God is in complete control magnify the Lord. Look at him. He sent his son Jesus for you to cast out fear, to cancel your sin, and give you peace with his very presence. I understand life may not look exactly as you planned, (laughs) or may not look precisely as you hoped, but you can still worship fully in the face of fear and uncertainty. Could that, let me ask you, could that be your story this December? Could we like conspire together this Christmas and not let our circumstances rule us, but actually surrender to God in every circumstance? Mary shows us that worship is really about surrender, right? Pastor Nithin taught us that. Surrendering her plans and allowing God to interrupt, even though she didn't fully understand all the details. She's just saying, you know what? My soul magnifies the Lord. My hopes in God, my Savior. God, may all your dreams for my life come true. The reason we can trust God when uncertainty strikes is because Mary's son, Jesus, surrendered his life to the Father for you. The miracle of Christmas is that when Jesus was finally born as a baby, he was fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and fully human, born of Mary. But he was born with a purpose. Jesus was a baby born to die. You think about this, for 33 years, your Savior led a life of perfect obedience, perfect worship, perfect surrender to the Father. Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live, the perfect sinless life. And on the cross, Jesus died the death 
that you and I deserve for our rebellion against God, saying, I'm not going to worship you, I'm God. See, the first Christmas was truly a conspiracy. It's a scandal. It's actually the beginning of God's great rescue plan to ransom a lost and perishing world. Your king is born in a manger, and then he's crucified on a cross. That's the Advent conspiracy, that God comes first to the humble, and then God comes in the humblest of ways. In Christ's birth, his death, and then his resurrection offers the gift of this indestructible life for all who believe and surrender their life to Jesus. So here at Liquid, we remember Christ's death and his resurrection by celebrating communion. And that's how we want to kick off this Christmas season. Communion, or the Eucharist, it's an ancient symbol again, used by the church typically to represent the sacrifice of Jesus, right? The the bread of Jesus, or the, the bread represents the body of, of Christ. It's broken for you. That's how we proclaim allegiance to King Jesus. We say, I remember his body broken for me. And when we take the cup, we say, this represents his blood that was shed for you. It cleanses your sin. He was raised to life for you. So when we celebrate communion, we're, we're looking back. We're remembering Christ's sacrifice, a baby born to die. But then watch this. We look forward to his second advent or coming. So if you're a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, you are welcome to receive communion as Christians have done for 2,000 years. Your campus leader is going to give instructions, but before they do, let's just, again, clear some time and some room to prepare your heart. You know, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves before we partake of communion, the bread and, and the cup. So let's take a moment for personal prayer. Would you just bow your head where you are, all our campuses? Let's just do business with God. Use this quiet moment just to clear the clutter Say, Jesus, inspect my heart. Look it over. There's junk in there. And just pray. Just repent of any hidden sin in your life or ways you've been too busy and crowded God out. Church, let's pray together. Let's just confess our sins together. You can pray out loud after me, just simple words. Say, Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Just say it all our campuses. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. For sending Jesus. I open my heart and invite him in. Jesus, thank you for dying. Your blood was shed for me. Your blood was shed for me. Your body was broken for me. And so I give my life to you. I believe you were raised from the dead and that you're coming again. So come be born in me this morning. Afresh, anew, fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.